You only get into, out of the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Danny de Brabander. My name is Danny de Brabander. Welcome to Man Marking, and we're asking, where's the talking, lads? Joining me today is the main man. It's Anthony Olsen. You're alone on that side of the table, Ant. I am. We're missing Ryan, aren't we? He's we uh, he's currently doing up his house. He's moving into his house. Yeah, yeah. Finally, finally. Bef- when Ryan bought his house, <laughs> it's so long ago. COVID wasn't a thing. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Yeah, he's a uh, so good luck to him. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, I mean, we have an offer to help, so that's why we're here. Uh, we did both offer to help, but in that kind of way, we like, I don't mind coming round to help you. <laughs> not on, not on that night though. <laughs> oh, Saturday's not good for me, pal. Uh, when do you need to move in? Yeah, I'm busy on all all the days. Busy on all of them. Uh, anyway, how are you, Ant? I'm good. Yeah, um, cracking along. I mean, it's been nice weather this week as well, which is which has helped a lot. It's been beautiful. Oh, bloody sunshine, cracking the flags, flags ah, even. Cracking the flags. Flags. I um, no, I'm leaving that in. Um, <laughs> I have this problem at work where because of the room that we're in at work, we're on the ground floor, but we've got a huge window. Mm. And it looks of, of opportunity. No, no, just an actual oh, right, window okay. to look yeah. out of. It looks out onto the pier head in Liverpool. Oh, very nice. And so it gets all the sun when it's hot. Mm. So the room itself gets incredibly warm. But we've got aircon in there. But I've not, and nobody else. This is not just a me problem. Nobody's been able to figure out how to do the aircon such that we don't either freeze and then have to turn it off and then get really hot and then put it back on again and freeze and then put. I feel like I'm in the menopause. Like, it's honestly, it's not that I know what that feels like. <laughs> I should mention. But, yeah, so whenever it's sunny, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to be both hot and cold today at work. So you're like kind of manager, aren't you? So yeah. Are you in charge of this? Not this, not, no. no it's you're leaving people, it to someone else, aren't you? People are running amok <laughs> in my office, mate. Running amok. Um, I'll tell you what else I saw as well. I really, I wanted to bring this up. Um, so I was walking back through Liverpool to the bus stop after work. It's mm. just this evening, you know, li- little more than than an hour ago. And in uh, in Liverpool city centre, as there are in many city centres across the UK, there are these like electronic advertising boards. Yeah. Um, and they look like big mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. And they move. The thing seems to flip over, and a new thing appears. Magic. We all know what they are. Yeah, yeah. And I walked past one that was outside the Costa. Yeah. Uh, other coffee shops are available yeah. outside Liverpool one and it had a picture it had three pictures on it Sancho Rashford and Saka and it just said underneath 
R3 lions. Ah, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it really it made me nearly yeah. cry walking yeah. through the streets. And I just thought, and I really wanted to take a picture of it, but it moved on. There's like about 50 adverts where it comes back, and I was like, I'm, uh, I want to take. I don't want to take a picture that much. I want to go home. But what I what I was good. thinking was, do you know what? We've had a lot of talk this week about racism in this country, bigots in this country, this problem, that problem, all the rest of it. And I thought, do you know what? Fuck all the bigots. Mm. This this country's great, you know, and it's full of great people, and ultimately, that's what's important. It is, yeah. yeah and I think yeah. that was just a really nice representation of that. We can sometimes get bogged down in the mire of these people are horrible, those people are horrible, and think, do you know what? Some good people in this country, there some is. really great people. And we've got a good person on today, haven't we? We have. I, that was kind of my segue. Yeah. That was what I was going Took for. Took it from you. That was what I was kind of going for. We have one of the best people. Yeah, we're certainly one of the best people I know. Yeah, yeah. For, a, for a Man United fan. Well, we've got to forgive him for that, haven't we? Well, quite right. So, do you want to do you want to introduce today's today's guest? Oh, and Danny De Brabs. Danny De Brabs. Oh, just a. I mean, I I met Danny through a WhatsApp group first of all, which is really odd because you don't put a, a face to the to the name and yeah. the person that's trying to wind you up and <laughs> tell all these jokes is a bit a a bit difficult to be to begin with. Um, but obviously, we all met and and like we're, our common interest is football and NFL and yeah. and. Um, We've grown as a group, uh, and I think it's fair to say it. I think if, if any of that group is listening, uh, we've grown even even more. I will say if they're not listening, <laughs> we've grown even. Then more. you will be adding me back into that WhatsApp group, and I will be releasing hell. <laughs> we've grown even more since since uh, you know Danny had his diagnosis, and and through, through kind of kind of gone through it with him as well, which is mm-hmm. as you know you're going to hear about in a minute, and he, he mentions quite a lot how it's a kind of a space for him to, to go and behave like he used to. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't need it to, you know, be tagged along to him. You know, it's Danny with cancer. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's a, just a space where he can go and enjoy himself. And he does enjoy himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Not everybody else does, but, but Danny does. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's all that matters. And he's he's just a fantastic guy. He's, um, you know, really, you're going to hear it a lot. He's a really positive positive person the stuff he's doing with his with his charity as well is is just unbelievable i yeah. think when he first started it um i don't think he could have imagined we're well, going on like 60 grand in or uh, something like no, that it's amazing he could, i mean two years in and a lot of hard work from danny and what he could have bought is seamus coleman and i think ultimately <laughs> if he wants to think of an achievement and he will be listening you could buy Seamus Coleman, Danny, and that's what matters. So Danny's charity, Team DDB. Maybe that's what he should do. He should like mark them off as footballers. When he can sign footballers, yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, like so Danny's charity, Team DDB, which he started on the back of his own cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. and you know we'll hear about that in the episode today, where the origins of that came from, and that's almost, you know, it's it, it, it's 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 sort of where this episode has come from, and and the story of where Danny, what Danny's done over the last two years, and where he's, where he's at now. Um. We do mention in the episode, it was just, when we recorded it, it was a few weeks back, it was just before he was about to have a scan, um, which we, I think we'll talk about that after after um, after we've heard the interview. But yeah, I think as you say, he's a great guy, isn't he? And he's he's you know he's a good friend, uh, and the stuff he's done with the charity is, is heartwarming, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I, we often we often wind each other up, and it, you know, it is funny, he's just a, you know, He's one of them types of people you can do that too. You can have that like joke yeah. with, and it, it won't really offend him. It, it, it'd be, you know, it's it's perfectly fine. And we'll um, see that in the uh, in, in, <laughs> in in the mini quiz at yeah. the end as well. So stick around for that. Um, so then, obviously, I mean, I, he, he did 
uh, we talk about it in, in, in the interview, there's a random act of kindness each month, and I just texted him one night and said, look, in all seriousness, you are doing some amazing work, and you are continuing to do so, and you should be really proud of yourself. And it is just so nice to see someone do that for other people yeah. and raise awareness of, of what is a really, really tough disease. Yeah. Um. So... <laughs> that's that's kind of all I have to say right now. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, we always have a theme for these episodes. Mm-hmm. And at this point, normally I would go to Ryan to say the theme. Yeah, but he's not here. He's, he's putting not his couches here. in, isn't he? He is putting things in his house mm. selfishly. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> it, the 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 oh the gall of the man. The unmitigated gall. The gall of the man. So I will do the theme. Go on. What's the theme? The theme this week is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, which is. I believe yeah. the slogan, the phrase, the the tagline for for everything that Danny does with Team DDB. It is from a program called Friday Night Lights. Yeah, a, a very see me and Danny very. I haven't seen it myself, but it's a very popular program. Apparently, so. Uh, very critically well acclaimed as well. Uh, also, yeah. apparently, so. Um, Star, so starring Kyle Chandler. Yeah, um, of Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, so he um, he produced all these like. Uh, t-shirts and stuff a bit on and it is really great to see like like them wear it and you know i think it's a perfect slogan really and you'll you'll get that mindset from him in this interview he is he is the embodiment of that yeah 100 100 percent. and that's that's obviously our theme and if you come up with anything that 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 we haven't spoken about in today's episode and you want to get in touch with us then you can find us on Twitter, our handle is at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use that hashtag, where's the talking lads. You can also email us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. So we've been rambling on for a little bit now. Yeah, Even, let, let's get the good guy on. Let's, let's get Danny on because enough of our shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see you very briefly on the other side. We're going to hand you over to Danny. You are listening to Man Marking. Danny, probably what's useful is before we kind of move on to talking about your cancer diagnosis and everything that's followed on from there, would it be to talk a little bit about you as a person? Given you've lived the majority of your life without a cancer diagnosis, and and I think what we kind of want to do with this conversation and what we've sort of spoken about is get a bit of an idea as as to you as a person and how you've experienced all of these things that have happened in the last sort of two, two and a bit years. Yeah. So first question then, Danny, and an easy one. Although, you know, we'll see how easy it is when you come to answer it. Where did you grow up? So I was born in uh, Clawton Village. Yeah. Um, lived there my whole life. Well, I say I lived there my whole life. I, I had a spell where I lived in Las Vegas for 12 months. Really? Yeah. Um, see, I mean, I'm already laying. Didn't even know that. There you go. And, and that's got a sad story in itself because I moved there with my um, partner at the time, Lacey. Her family moved out there, and uh, yes, when I come back for a little bit of a break to see my family, and when I was back here, she got killed in a car crash. So, um, yeah. other than that, yeah. So, bloody yeah. hell! When was that? That was two thousand and four. Craig, so yeah. how old have you been then? Um, ooh, about twenty three, twenty four, something like that. So it was quite a big step to move to Las Vegas at yeah. the time, but yeah. So was she American? I presume. No, she was from she was from Kent, like London, right. and I moved to Kent. Yeah, and then I met her when I was on holiday in in America, and then we come back, and um, it, one thing led to another, and we got serious, and then yeah, she said, "Do you want to move out with me?" So I went out with her. Yeah. 
And I presume you were quite settled in America at that time. Yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, I'd come back and, funny enough, I'd got a job where I work now at Digital and it was only supposed to be like a six-month thing while I got a bit of money behind me to go back out there. Um, and while I was back here working, um, she got killed in a car crash and then I never went back and then just and I still work at Digital to this day. I suppose then at that time, I mean, what, 23, 24? I think, I think when you are 23, 24, I think, and Ryan, you you know, sure you look great. Mm. I think... You kind of feel at that time as though you're... I don't remember feeling at that time any less old than I am now, in a way. But equally, you look back and you think, like, that's really young, isn't it? That must have been, yeah. in terms of, for you, I mean, that must have been incredibly kind of traumatic and upsetting for you. Yeah, I mean, it took it took me, like, a good, a long time to get over. And it was only until, I, like, Jane, who is my partner now, who works for Digital, who work, met through work, it was only when that started to blossom, when I truly, like got over it really and um obviously still miss Lacey and stuff and I've, I think back and stuff but my life's moved on and and obviously you know and they say you you know you can't find love again but you you can so did you um stay in touch with the parents yeah I'm still in touch with them now um she had a sister called Candy um and I'm still in touch with her now and she's still very supportive of me and my situation as it stands yeah. so why me that's um there you go. That's that's incredible. I mean, as we kind of spoke about before, with a lot of these interviews that we've done, there is so much that goes on in people's lives that you that you don't know about. That isn't the kind of key focus of what the conversation might be, but the things that people go through, the kind of shape who they are and and, and what they what they Absolutely. kind of go on to do. Yeah, I suppose then moving kind of into a little bit of a footballing context because obviously a lot of the stuff that we talk about is football. You're a you're a Manchester United fan. Yeah. When did you become? A Man United fan. I mean, growing up in Clorton Village, yeah. you sport in the old CH forty three, CH forty two, CH whatever accent. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because um, you know you could say I'm a glory hunter, but really there is a we story. Will, we, yeah, we don't want to. Be <laughs> you already have. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I was. My dad was an Evertonian, and my mum is a Tramia fan, mm-hmm. and my granddad was a Tramia fan. So growing up. My dad would take me to a handful of Everton games. My mum would, and my granddad would take me to Tramia games, late eighties, nineties. And my dad took me to a game, Man United game at Everton. Um, Pat Nevin actually scored like a chip over Jim Layton at the time. And I just remember leaving, thinking like the United fans were brilliant, and I was a little bit taken back by how, how amazing it was. And then through the nineties, I've got a very fond spot for Tramia as well. I was going to Tramia, but I was also watching United on the telly, and it was around that time when it was like Giggs, Kanchelskis, mm-hmm. you know, Cantona come in, and it was it was very easy to kind of fall in love with them. Plus, I'm, I've got a massive dislike for Liverpool, so obviously <laughs> that was that also kind of helped. We'll get so. to that as well, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, from conversations I've had with you, Danny, you're kind of a home and away going the match football fan as well, which I think. Yeah. You know, for some people isn't important, but I think for other people, I think that's an important distinction to make, particularly with a club like Man United, the same as it would be for Liverpool and Everton and stuff. I think there is a distinction between the way that we experience football, the way we understand football. Yeah. That kind of part of your life and that, that element of going away. I mean, when you and I were speaking only the other week about going to the likes of Barcelona and what have you and that, and I suppose trips like that for you must have been, you know, kind of yeah. the stuff that you think, you know, what am I doing here kind of thing. Yeah, it's been amazing because like when I started to get, I've got a brother Simon who's five years older than me. He also 
very like me. He was he, he got into the United thing. In fact, I may have well have followed him as well in that. And then when we were old enough, we'd go to the games and then develop season tickets. And, well, got season tickets, and then it went from there. And like you say, traveling to Munich and going to semi-finals against Barcelona, and you know, I've experienced things that you know I look back and think, wow, you know, and seeing great players, Ronaldo and Rooney, and gigs and Cantona and Scholes and, and Bebe yeah <laughs> and Luke Shadwick who's been on you know and, and that but yeah no it's it's been absolutely amazing and something I feel like um extremely grateful for really out of kind of all the places you've been to as a United fan all the kind of the big European nights if you kind of had to put one memory up there like one away day or one trip up there what would it be I would say one of the best games I went to was um, a home game against Roma where we won 7-1 and the atmosphere was amazing. Um, best away ground I've ever been to was AC Milan and we lost the game, uh, I think it was 3-0, back in 2007 and the atmosphere was just unbelievable and something I've never experienced and it was so hostile and mm-hmm. and you could kind of see it was a bit early for the likes of Rooney and Ronaldo and so on and just got overrun in that game but it was a learning curve and he went on to to win it the year after so that was that you know, that Milan team won it that year didn't they they beat Liverpool yeah. in the final That's we were only talking the other day weren't we about the San Siro and it was you know almost I mean I'll use a word that I haven't used the other night one of the meccas of football yeah <laughs> but it's it, it is isn't it a proper yeah. like and hasn't it gone now aren't they replacing it yeah moving yeah. aren't they I believe so but it was amazing because one of the things is that about that stadium is the spirals yeah. in the corner mm. and when you go into the stadium you're walking around the spirals and you see a Milan fans and then you walk around again and it's seeing you know and it was good banter and yeah, it was an amazing place, really, and it's quite sad that they're looking to, to get rid of it, really. Yeah, especially because it's places like that have got real history, haven't they? And they have, you know, going to those grounds is as much part of the experience as the football is. And yeah. that goes the same for, you know, grounds like the San Siro, straight all, all the way to sort of small grounds that we've been to. I mean, we went to the Shea in Halifax, didn't we? Which is obviously another end of the spectrum, but... It's a very unique football ground. It's a very unique experience when you go there, and it's a huge part of being a football fan, isn't it? Going to those places and kind of getting to experience them. Absolutely, yeah. How um, how would you describe your kind of relationship with with mental health, kind of pre two thousand and nineteen? Sort of, you know, we talked about that incident with the death of your of your partner, and yeah, you know, I think mental health, as we've discussed, you know, previously is kind of the type of topic now where men are able to talk a little bit more openly about it. So I think we've all been in a position younger where we maybe found it difficult. How would you have kind of described your relationship with it? Um, I've had I've had um, trouble moments. I think when I left college, um, I uh, was suffer- I suffered a lot with anxiety. Um, I think it maybe would have been the step from going from college into the real world. I was um, sick a lot, uh, making myself sick, um, going out and, um, I almost had to get forced into like a placement through, um, the job center at the time because I was just was so reluctant to get into the real world and, and that. And then I had like a rough period of where I, I lost my granddad and he was, he was actually going up to Tramier at the time and he beeped for my mum outside. And by the time she'd come out, he'd slumped on the wheel and, and died of a heart attack. Um, and I don't know whether, and then obviously the thing with Lacey, I don't know whether I got a bit of anxiety around being in a car because then following that years later, I had anxiety driving. Like if I was on a motorway, I'd go all hot and flushed and almost feel like I was going to faint. So 
so yeah i've had that i've had experiences and and so on but i've always found for me you've i've found battling through those and, and putting yourself into the into the same situation mm. time and time again has been the way that i've found i've got through through it really and in terms of you know some of the, the themes that we'll go on to speak about in terms of the one of the main topics that we talk about a lot in this podcast in terms of being able to verbalize those feelings being able to talk to somebody about them yeah how have you kind of how did you find that relationship growing up in terms of being able to say to people you know i'm struggling with this or you know using ways like anxiety yeah, yeah I, I struggled I, I mean i think i spoke to like my dad initially when i was coming with the college stuff as they saw that i was like a bit of a recluse in my room and so on and i wouldn't go out and so i had to have that conversation but yeah i struggled it was I think it's becoming more of a something you can talk more honestly and open about and what's happened now is I couldn't be more honest and open about what's going on with my situation at the moment so yeah absolutely and then in January 2019 you received the diagnosis of stage 4 bowel cancer can you walk us through that process and for anyone listening what stage 4 cancer means yeah sure I mean so it kind of started about nine ten months before i actually got diagnosed i was suffering with a heavy stomach i was tired run down i was getting a lot of acid indigestion and so on just didn't feel right i was going for runs and just not feeling myself went to the doctors they said go for a blood test i ignored it um a few months passed by after that and then i ended up going passing blood in my stool and then straight away there was an alarm sign so i um went back to the doctors had a stool test, blood test, and they come back abnormal, and then that followed through until January 2019 when I went for a colonoscopy um, at Arrow Park. And, yeah, it, I just, again, vividly just seeing turn on your side and he put the camera in and you watch it on the screen. And he told me it was like a 45-minute um, process. He got about 20 minutes into it and then just said, he, I could see he couldn't get past this, like, almost blockage and uh, you know again naively i just looked and thought nothing more of it he come out and said go into recovery and then um they held me and held me and then they were waiting for jay my partner to come up and they called me into a room and just basically said like we suspect that you've got bowel cancer so and in that first instance how do how do you react to that how do the people around you react to that it was it was weird because like i i take ever i'm quite laid back so i kind of took it in my stride a little bit i was a little bit like i was in a sales meeting like yes no, no it's very factual um my mum had bowel cancer as well so and i saw with her she caught it early had it cut out albeit she had some complications but she's fine now so i, I thought i can I, you know i'll deal with this it was only three weeks later when i had further tests where they told me it spread to my liver so stage four cancer is when it's spread to another organ in your body um and the prognosis for that isn't good at all i think if you with bowel cancer if you have a prognosis that is um oh, sorry if you have stage four cancer it means like you, you're looking like your survival rates past five years are like 14 percent wow so at that point the initial resilience does that start disappearing or do you almost become more resilient or how how do you yourself sort of process it yeah it was it was initially hit me like a train when i got when i got the stage four prognosis i was looking on google and it was saying you'd have x amount of months to live and um you know whole world collapses and you're like i'm, I'm looking around at the family and looking at my little niece and thinking 
and we're going to see her grow up and so on and then I got in touch with a girl called Kelly Smith who was um had stage four bowel cancer and she just she just gave me a lot of direction a lot of hope she basically said that um there's options available to you so you know stay positive and from that moment on I felt positive it was only then uh, you know I started to get my plan in place I was going to have chemotherapy then I was going to have surgery started on chemotherapy and within a few days of me having my first cycle of chemotherapy I got rushed up to Arrow Park and I was close to having a major heart attack so because the chemotherapy was I was cardiotoxic to the chemotherapy so it didn't wear it it didn't agree with me it was causing my arteries to spasm and yeah they basically said if you hadn't come in when you did then you would have you would have had a major heart attack and I was in hospital for about a week with that so so you're dealing with the stage four bowel cancer which has now spread you're dealing with the heart issues how are you verbalizing how you're feeling or is it are you not at this point it was weird because like that weekend building up to the heart issues i did um i did a park run and i felt i had chemo on the friday did the park run on the saturday and it's that thing of this isn't going to affect me i'm positive and and that and then literally building up to the days when i was about to like obviously i, I literally got go and get in the shower and i'd get this burning sensation in my neck and throat and i was like what's going on here and yeah it's it, once i was in hospital and i was lying in that bed it was for some reason because i think because my granddad passed away of a heart attack heart is always something that really stresses me out so like if i go into hospital it's often when they do you know they need to check your heart rate mine's always high because i have that fear and phobia of it so lying in the hospital bed i was thinking you know what's gonna go on next and what did come next that you know i wouldn't you wouldn't believe so one thing i wanted to um <clears throat> wanted to ask you danny that you you mentioned there was in the first instance when you hadn't been feeling well for a for a while and then you you got sent for a blood test with the doctor and it didn't go now i kind of empathize with that because that's i feel like that's the type of thing i would probably do as well and i would guess yeah for a lot of men listening, that's probably the type of thing that they've done or would do as well as the thing. And, 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 you know, women as well, but I think it's quite a classically male thing to be like, oh, it'll be sound, don't worry about it. Like, I'll, I'll go in a bit, like, or I've got too much work to do, or I'm out with the lads tonight, I can't go and do that. Yeah. Do you kind of, I don't know if it would have made any difference, but do you ever have any regrets about not engaging with sort of professional medical care kind of earlier yeah because i think it probably delayed me by about four or five months and like i don't know now if if i'd have gone followed through on that initial blood test whether i would have caught it at stage two Mm. and i could be you know completely fine now and absolutely and it's why i'm so keen to raise awareness for bowel cancer and not even just bowel cancer for anybody who's got any health concerns it's so important that you go and get checked out you know you've got to be proud you've just got to go have the conversation and 99 times out of 100 it's going to be something that's not sinister and that it's not going to be a problem but it's it's nice to know because when i when i've been raising so much awareness around it there's there's been people who have been reaching out to me saying your posts made me go to the doctors and and that's why i'm so keen to do you know things like this as well because awareness is is absolutely key and it, it's younger people who are getting bowel cancer as well so yeah i think that's that's as you say swallow your pride almost to a, to a degree and go to the doctors and, and have that conversation isn't it about yeah. so there's no embarrassment or any shame about it and that's the because it's some of it can be quite invasive can't it and you know it says like a colonoscopy and stuff like that I think that's probably what 
people are probably a bit worried about, aren't they, is yeah. going and doing those type of things. But, you know, the alternative is worse, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, a colonoscopy isn't the nicest experience. Um, but as you rightly say, you know, if it can save your life, then then it's worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And when we were doing the, the kind of the prep for this episode, you... you well, I asked you to send us a, a bit of a summary of the information around because there's a lot that's gone on over the last sort of two and a half years and for us to kind of get a good grasp of exactly the type of things, the questions we wanted to ask you and the things we would like to know from you. And we were talking about your experience with with sepsis. Now, I'm going to kind of read out almost verbatim what, what you sent to us because I think it's probably useful for people who are listening to kind of have a, yeah. a picture painted. So... um. You had a bowel blockage and perforation, emergency bowel resection, stoma surgery, complications with that surgery, and you contracted life-threatening sepsis with major organs shutting down, and your family were told that you wouldn't make the evening, and then thankfully you were able to, to battle through the sepsis, and but you dropped 10 stone and had to learn to walk again. Now, how how did that come about, and, and, and you know, we want to sort of talk to you about how you felt emotionally about that and how you were able to process it kind of internally yeah so i went to i went to the i went to uh, watch actually watch man united against barcelona in champions league and it didn't feel right then i felt like a heavy feeling again in, in in my bowel um and then i just started got home and i just started like for days afterwards i was throwing up and not right so again went to the doctors they said get up to our park went up there they said you're, we've got a suspicion that your bowels basically blocked the tumors growing that big that food can't pass through so because i had heart issues they'd said no more chemo we'll do go for surgery and we'll do that in may time so i was heading for surgery in may so they said the best way forward for us would be for us to put a stent into your bowel it'll open up your bowel expand your bowel and it will allow food to pass through and that should get you by then till May. Um, turns out when I was having a stem fitted, the stent like basically blows up a bit like a balloon and it perforates in my bowel. So they put me into a, like a recovery area and I just started getting this pain in, in my stomach, like the worst pain I've ever had. I was screaming the place down, didn't feel like there was anyone around. They rushed to me, they got the pain under control, took me for a scan. In fact, they didn't have the pain under control straight away. I remember having a scan with the pain, and it was so bad. And and anyway, they, they got the pain under control, and then the surgeon come round and said, basically said, we're going to have to do emergency surgery on your bowel. You're going to end up with an allostomy stoma, temporary. Um, but we've got to do it because we've got to, you know, do that. So it was weird because I was lying in the um, hospital bed and. Um, Ran in the hospital bed, and the um, they said uh, they said that to me, and then I remember texting a few people, and it was almost like I had a feeling that something wasn't right. So I was texting people saying like I love you, and I'm going under, and blah blah blah, and text you when I come through, and then I remember going down. My mum and dad and Jane went down, and they wheeled through me, wheeled me through the. Um, sit the doors to have surgery and I remember Jane saying like everything will be alright blah 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 and then um, yeah just um, had the surgery and it was one of them where I didn't know but got put into an induced coma had contracted life threatening sepsis and um, family got told and it was harder for them obviously because mm. they're the ones that are dealing with it but they got told like 
if my major organs were shutting down and I wouldn't make the night. So when you kind of come around following the surgery, how how do you feel at that point? Well, I come around about four four days later. They brought me out of the induced coma. They, I was on a lot of medication and so on, and I was basically getting delusions of grandeur at that point. So it was a very scary experience. I thought the hospital was out to get me. I thought it was a fake hospital. Um, when they were taking blood, I thought they were like slicing me open with razor blades. That's what I could see. I could see all sorts. And then one night in particular, I remember like there was a, like a glass mirror, but I thought it was a window. And it felt like there was a crowd of people outside, including my surgeon at the time, which is mad, all waiting for me to die. And I was convinced that I was going to die that night. And I even ended up pulling off all my equipment out of my mouth and so on. Is that is that common to happen? I know it's common, but I mean, like, yeah. is that something that regularly happens when people come out of, of the induced comas? That yeah, with is... with with all the medication you're on and the pain relief, certain pain relief can cause it. And apparently, um, just from speaking to us, with people who have had COVID, they can experience it as well. And mm. it's quite scary because I found the comfort was in my family; they were the only people I trusted. But um, yeah, the only people I trusted and. We'd, I couldn't imagine being in there with COVID and being on your own and experiencing that because it was it was so scary. Like I can't even put it. It's funny now when I look back at it, I actually look back at it with a bit of a sense of humour. Some people are scarred by it and 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 are scarred by it for a long time. And I still think to this day a lot of what I saw was actually real when it wasn't. Um, there is a funny element to it where. I could see through this mirror and the mirror like this where it was mad because it was changing. And one time I could see like a TV through the mirror and he, he had the, um, the 2005 Champions League final on repeat. <laughs> so I often like laugh and say that was the worst part about it. Like so. Someone probably did just to, <laughs> just thought I would just kick him while he's down. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. One thing that I, I, I was curious about, I, I don't know, I don't know if, if this is something that you've kind of uh, kind of come across you'll know much better than me. But I often find with, you hear a lot nowadays um, around when there are stories about people who've who've had cancer and, and have recovered or, you know, talking about the recovery stories and stuff like the work that you do as well to try and raise awareness around going to the doctor, getting yourself sorted, looking for the signs, all those type of things. Sometimes I wonder if with people who've been in your position, there's almost a perception of, I don't think that people kind of, sometimes get the depths of how hard and how much you've been through in terms of you know they almost go they hear a story of oh he had cancer and then he recovers and then now yeah. he's fine do you know what I mean like, yeah. you know we see you sitting here today we wouldn't know you know and if we didn't know we wouldn't know do you know what I mean and yeah. I think I guess kind of for a lot of people I always kind of think maybe it's it's it it, it needs reiterating like how how horrible some of the parts of it can be most definitely and and jane always comments on that because the perception that sometimes like because i'm positive when i put something out on social media it's always got a positive angle to basically uplift others but what she often says is, is that that doesn't tell the true picture because it's it's a perception that it's easy like when i had sepsis i dropped down to like 10 stone like you said i had to learn to walk again you know, I was I was so frail. Like I saw myself in the in a mirror, and I was just like, not even the same person. And but I would probably have been in a group WhatsApp group at that time as I'm coming through it, and I would have been lively and 
and people like i say it's like it's like mental health but you don't see what goes on behind closed doors with a lot of people and yeah you're absolutely right but um you know it's it's one of them where i just think everyone everyone deals with situations in in a different way and my way was to was to to come out with positive posts and and put it out in the public really so um and then from april 2019 to to june 2019 which is two years previous from when we're recording you get told you've got well you've got months to live um which is hard to comprehend for anybody um to be told it must just be devastating to say the least how do you react to that news and also what what was kind of like that period in between april and june like so i'd recovered it i was in hospital for six weeks and i come out and and i felt great as i as i was recovering um i started to put weight back on and i felt positive and it was like right the bowel's sorted they've took, taken the cancer out of the bowel i've got a stoma that's fine but i've still got it in my liver so my priority was let's get the liver sorted and then i went for scans like pet scan ct scan and all that and then went to see the oncologist at clatterbridge and he just pulled me into a room and said like you've spread to your stomach lining um and you're obviously limited on the chemotherapy options you can have because you're cardiotoxic so we're going to try you on this but if this doesn't work you're looking at months left to live and I was with me, my, my partner Jane and si, my brother Simon was with me and we just left and we were just like, I don't know, it's it's one of them, I, I don't know, it's something I thought, never thought I'd be dealing with at what, 38, 39 years of, old, of age and, um, but again, it's one of them, the funny thing with cancer is, is that when you get the plan in place after that and you get on the chemo, get, get on chemotherapy, you almost switch again and you're positive and you think this is going to work and thankfully for me i responded well to chemotherapy which led me to get um referred to the christie and then that's led me on now in terms of um two surgeries one last february one this january more chemotherapy in between and yeah it's got me to where i am now when you have your your good days can you ever fully relax? Does it always stay in the back of your mind? Or have you been able to almost adjust as the years have gone by to say, there's no point in fearing it. I've got to take the good news when I get it. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I I am, uh, one thing I've learned, and it's weird because when I was talking to you earlier about how I'd get anxious about stuff, it's weird that I'd get anxious about the things I used to get anxious about. Yeah, I've got something that could basically kill me and i'm quite relaxed about the situation mm. um i think if you overthink it and you just constantly it, it, it consumes you it's something that i think is i don't know it, it could just eat you a lot eat you up really and that, so i've been good at relaxing and, and just being focused on what i've got to do and and where i've got to get to and it's weird because i've been like the two surgeries i had the last one they basically removed the cancer from a stomach lining and then pumped chemotherapy round to 40 degrees around my stomach hot chemotherapy i had my spleen removed and all sorts i've lost organs but when i had when i went into those surgeries my mindset was i'm having the cancer removed there was a danger in the surgery alone that i wasn't going to come through the surgery but that never crossed my mind it was basically i've got to do this and and that's the only option for me 
you were talking there, Dan, before about when you had the sepsis and when you were going into that operation and you were obviously unaware of everything that was going on external to that, the conversations that were going on between doctors and the family and all the rest of it where you were, you know, you were you were close to, to the edge, basically. When you're having conversations with your family, so your partner, you know, your brother and, and, and other people who were close to you, is it really difficult because you're almost feel as though in a way you're comforting them sometimes because you know you're obviously having to almost deal with something that i mean how do you even you, you almost can't compartmentalize it can you? you can't really kind of make head and tail of it no it's and it's weird when they tell me the stories about what was going on in that hospital and um my, my partner jane she's got a son josh and he he was in the room and he stormed off and went missing for hours because he couldn't comprehend the news and 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 when you hear that it's like it's hard because like i said before they had the hard part to it i was unconscious so they had to deal with that they were felt helpless but one thing i've learned is is that the way in which i carry myself and my demeanor and my attitude has a knock-on effect around the people around me so if i sit and stew and down they'll come with me if i'm upbeat and positive they'll follow me on that and they are as well and that's why I've tried to stay posit- as positive as I can in 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 pretty much everything I've been through. Well, that was that was kind of where we were gonna gonna go next. Sort of ostensibly, you are feel naturally quite a positive person, and and a, you know you're always kind of as you know you mentioned in the WhatsApp groups, you're always up for winding people up and having a laugh, and you know coming up all with the lads and and being part of that, being a bit of an energy in the group. Is that tiring? Is that like tiring to do? when you know you've got the other stuff to, to deal with at the same time um no i f- i find it as a, I, I find it as a distraction um yeah uh, i mean something that was very weird was around that time when i just started to go back but when i went to had sepsis there were certain things that were really strange about that in that the messages in the whatsapp groups that i was in for the four days that i was unconscious don't exist on my phone which is just like weird to me. It's like those four days don't exist. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, 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 with the WhatsApp groups, it, it is it, 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 I, it's just a distraction. It's it's good banter, and uh, yeah, I don't get I don't get tired at all. Um, you know, I, I quite quite enjoy it. And, and as I say, I know different people deal with things in different ways. But for me, you know, I've, I've been sat having chemotherapy and felt rotten but I've still tried to, you know, get involved and distract my mind because I think it's good for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then I would presume then that even amongst that, that kind of general sort of feeling of, of positivity that you've always tried to hang on to. And I mean, I've not known you for an enormous amount of time. I, 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 we must have met pre-2019 playing footy at some point, I would imagine. I would imagine, yeah. But I've only got to know you subsequent to you as... Danny from Team DDB, Danny. Yeah. And you've always, as I say, you've always kind of been pretty consistent. You're always kind of the same in the WhatsApp groups or in, in the pub or whatever it might be. But you must obviously have gone through some lower times as well where maybe you've not felt like, I don't feel like talking to you or I don't feel like doing, you know, you, you do a lot of charity work, which we'll, which we'll get on to. Yeah. It must be sometimes you must have, no, I need to not do that today or I need to not do this because I'm feeling it's a bit too much at the moment i think the, the weird thing about where i'm at is 
post sepsis and when I got the diagnosis that I, you know, possibly have months left to live if, if the treatment wasn't successful, then it worked. I've kind of felt like I've been riding the crest of the wave in a good way in terms of surgeries have been coming which are needed and then chemotherapy and I've been getting good results. So it's never, it, it, in the last probably like, I would say 12, 18 months, it hasn't been overly negative. So it's been easier from that mm. point of view. But absolutely, like, you know, what people don't see is things like me walking around, breaking apart with my earphones on in floods of tears, thinking about what song I'm going to have played at my funeral. You know, and, and they're the things that come in t- into your mind. Like, I've had it where, and I've kind of squashed this a bit now, and as I say, it's because of a bit of co- um, a bit more, I've had positive steps along the way. But, you know, even going back to probably, like, last summer, it, like, early autumn, I remember going to Liverpool with my family. Uh, my cousin Joe come up, and we were going round, and they were like, Dan, photo, photo. And I remember just thinking, are these wanting to take a photo of me now because they want a memory of me? You know, and they're the sort of things that, like, stick with you. And then, you know, I, I go and pick up my, my niece Maisie from school on a Friday, and it's like, how many more times are going to do that? And whilst I'm riding the crest of the wave, I'm under no illusions that the percentages are stacked against me. And, um, you know, what I haven't said is, you know, I, I did get a clear scan, you know, f- uh, back in three months ago, and I'm doing another scan soon, and which was amazing and I never expected to get there but at the same time it's still early days and a lot of people are like you know that's it now and they don't understand once once cancer spread in your body you know there's no rules around where that where it can go to how are you kind of feeling about that scan um I'm I'm nervous because I don't want to go back into that world in terms of I don't want to go back into having chemotherapy like the last three months or longer than that since I've probably like four or five since I had the surgery I felt alive like I've never felt alive before I can't I can't even explain it to you I've just been a different person like I'm just like, I've always been positive but I'm just bubbly and like I just feel like I do feel like that cancer weight's lifted off my shoulders and I don't want to go back in but at the same time if I have to go back into that world and it's a bad scan then I'll just have to process it and deal with that and hope that chemotherapy will work again and maybe I can have another surgery and I can get back to, to where I'm back to no evident disease, you know, even though I, it might be a step back. And I put a post out yesterday around that is that sometimes it can take months, sometimes it can take years to get to where you want to be. Um, and sometimes it's bumps in the road, but you've just got to stay positive and stay keep your mind focused on on the end goal and my end goal is living at the end of the day so just touching on that positivity aspect when you're in a hospital environment as much as you've been in and it's all it's obviously very medical they're using terms you might not be used to you're going through processes you'll never think you'll go through can you put like a value on being positive because I look at like and I've known a few people who've lost a life to cancer I look at like grandparents I lost my my mum's mum a few years ago to cancer and because of her age and her fragility there was almost an acceptance like there almost wasn't a battle she didn't even want to have the energy to battle it but due to your age and your positivity how much has that seen you through do you think I think there's an element to it but at the same time I also am very careful with what I say on that because when I mentioned before about Kelly Smith, who was someone who guided me early on, she's no longer with us. 
and she was the most positive person and very public and and basically i've followed what she does in terms of how she's dealt with her diagnosis because she tell me how good it made her feel in terms of you know helping others basically um and she's not here so i, I I'm, I'm not naive enough to say down to positivity but I also think it's one of them. I think a huge amount of luck comes into it as well. Mm. You know, I'm, I don't like it when people when when people say they, they're beating cancer or whatever, and it, it's like this almighty thing. Because, like I said, there's, I've lost a lot of people along the way, like you're saying there, and in terms of grandparents, friends, and and people, and you know, someone um, I know just lost their dad to cancer um, yesterday, and and you know it. He, you're telling me he wasn't fighting and he wasn't positive he, he probably was but sometimes luck luck plays a huge part and and I, and so far touch wood i've been extremely lucky in that the the treatments and the, the chemotherapy and stuff like that the options that i've had have worked yeah that's true and it's positivity with realism isn't it it's remaining positive but understanding that it's in the hands of the people who were trained to deal with those things as well. Yeah. Sorry, Dan, was you going to say something? Yeah, yeah. All it was was just on what you said there, right? Because um, we did obviously did an episode with Dr. Catherine Mannix a while ago. She used to be a, a palliative care specialist. And she said she always hates the, that term, you know, they lost their battle to yeah. cancer. She said, well, they didn't yeah. lose. They won. You know, they, they, they went through that process and that difficult process of doing it. And it's not about winning or losing. It's not about you know, being positive or not being positive or not, you know, all those things. Yeah. As you say, it, it, you know, there is only so much you can do. And, and you know, for she was saying that, I think that, that was kind of the sentiment that she was sort of driving at as well. I nearly brought that up and I thought I was too clever to think it. I knew someone had said it and I'm glad you just reminded me who it was. Yeah. Um, obviously on this podcast, Dan, we talk a lot about opening up and it's obviously often around mental health and something that with mental health isn't as tangible as cancer is um you can get scans you can see it you can sort of monitor its progress a bit more than you can with mental health you're obviously battling physical and mental um at that at that moment in your life you've always been relatively open danny touched on he knows you through your work at ddb i actually have a vivid memory of being in a suite at a couple of years back and our, our friend Dan, who obviously does the podcast was always talking about you and I remember seeing you for the first time and re- I actually work with your brother and I didn't even know you were his brother and stuff like that and I thought wow there's there's Danny and straight away you were you were saying hello shaking people's hands you just came across really well from the get-go and how much of a big part is that communication that attitude that raising of awareness almost keeping yourself focused it seems throughout your sort of treatment to to want to raise that awareness how much has that played a part uh, a massive part and i think i think that's helped with my positivity you know I've, I've seen i've turned a negative situation into a positive when i start when i with friends when i started team ddb i almost had the mindset that it was a legacy thing where now i don't see it like i i, I don't see it that way i want it to be something that i drive forward and sometimes i think I kind of think why did that the one thing I always go back to is why did I survive sepsis at that time and I almost feel like what's happened has given me purpose and I don't know what the future's going to be of whether this thing's going to come back and, and how it's going to be but what I do know is I kind of live in the here and now and um, 
if I can, sometimes people look at me and think I'm in a bit of a rush, and maybe I am in a bit of a rush because I don't know what the future is, but like I had a meeting today about a raging event, a, a bowel cancer event in um, September time, and I'm I'm just so passionate to to do good and, and to give back, and, and, and like I say, it helps me massively with my own mental health, my own feeling about the situation. I don't look back on anything I've been through and be bitter about it. Um, you know, someone once said to me, like when I had sepsis, they were like, how have you contracted sepsis in a hospital? How did that stent go wrong? Go after the hospital, the blah, blah, blah. And it was like quite the opposite. Yeah. I'll raise money for the critical care team. You know, they saved my life at the end of the day. Why why confront something with a negative situation and fight, fight fire with fire when, you know, it wasn't their fault. It's not their fault that mm. I've got cancer. It's not their fault my bowel blocked. You know, there's no point in, in being bitter about things. You've just gotta, you've just gotta look forward and and be positive. Yeah, why take on an ugly medical negligence claim at a yeah. point in your life where you you're just trying to be alive? Yeah, it as you say, it almost seems counterproductive. And while the battle against cancer, the physical battle against cancer is yours and yours only, your cancer diagnosis almost seems like a collective effort with your circle of friends, your family everybody seems to have rallied around you and and i think it's testament to you the support network you've got can you touch on how important that's been and how how probably despite being the loneliest part of your life you haven't been alone as well have you no not at all and it's like it's it's like humbling and it's often i can't even tell you how much it means to me and just like the things that like the support you get and the, the you know uh, you put a I put a post on and the support and the comments you get about the it is just a will for for me to to come through this and, and I think that has like a you know a, a knock on effect and again that just it keeps you going and my family is so so supportive of me and then you know a great 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 circle of friends who who have been truly unbelievable yeah and I suppose when you want to talk about it there's people there you want to talk to about and when you just want to give someone shit and typical <laughs> lad stuff in a whatsapp group you could got that as well haven't you yeah absolutely and that, and that's that's the thing i got as i say everyone deals with things differently and but for me the banter and just getting involved in day-to-day conversations has, has all been part of the healing process for me and taking my mind off things i don't want to come across as like doom and gloom and feel sorry for me and all that that's that's not, I've never been about that, and uh, and like you say, it it's just good to 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 talk footy and to have a bit of banter and just shoot the shit, really. Yeah, we're gonna come on to the team DDB stuff, but we we attended a charity football match we arranged recently, and and our friend Swanee was there, and he's obviously got his own battle going on at the moment, and I can't really remember anybody asking him, despite being the first time to see him in a while, how's it going, how's your treatment, but in a nice way. Like yeah. it, it was like we just picked off people were making jokes, the standard stuff. And for him, probably didn't want to talk about. It. He probably wanted to turn up, watch a bit of footy, have that bit of banter between lads. And I think that's important to realise as well, isn't it? Yeah. Doesn't always have to be. How's the treatment going, Dan? It can be. What do you think of the match last night, Dan? Yeah. And for you, you probably welcome them conversations now and again. Or you did do during the. The, the worst times most definitely i mean but there's a there's a case in point to it like there's no right or way wrong way of dealing with it swanee uh adam swanicky you know he's an absolute legend what he's been through is truly unbelievable and he's he's come out the other side of that and but he's been someone who's dealt with it in a private private mm. way 
um you know and, and there's no as i say there's no right or wrong way that's worked for him and as i said he's, he's coming out the other side which is a testament to him but but yeah you're right it's it, you know that was always the hard thing like i don't want to be defined as danny who's got even though, again i put it out there but for awareness mm. i don't want to be defined as there's danny who's got cancer i want to be defined as there's danny my mate who supports man united and and talks a load of rubbish about football <laughs> yeah you definitely know that in, the, in these parts mate, I'll tell you. <laughs> have you um have you found people kind of treat you differently at all or or did do or have done or a little bit it's weird because like you, you do get people who will say hello to you who, who typically would have walked past you like three years ago and stuff and ask you how you are but again that's because i'm i'm putting it out there but yeah um family and friends not so much um i'd probably say it's more just people who have who have met through my life who who, who will will act a little bit a bit differently but not not massively now no well that's what that was, but that's a good thing to hear really because i was kind of it always feels like one of those things where it's like the elephant in the room, isn't it? And you're there going, should I talk about it? Should I not talk about it? Do I ask them? I want to yeah. ask them because I want to be supportive, but I also don't want them to think I'm only asking them because I can't think of anything else to say to them. Do you know what I mean? One, one of the downsides to that is, like I say, because I'm very public about it and, and uh, the worst one is, like, I go to Tesco and, you know, the girl behind the counter, there's, like, a line full of people and she's like, how oh, you going with your cancer, Dan? You know, and you're like, you've got to explain <laughs> it to her and there's, like, a shop full of people listening and stuff. So there's that, that element to it, which isn't the best. But, but yeah, I mean, again, I can't I can't knock it because I'm the one that's, that's made it so public, so. Yeah, I guess then, as you say, people just deal with it in, in kind of different ways, don't they, really? And... and you know, we, you and Ryan both talked about Swanee there, and as you say, he's gone about it in a in a slightly different way. But I guess for you know, for people who are interacting with people who've got a serious health condition, I think normality is important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean that's one of the things I have I have spoken to Swanee about is, despite it's hard, you know, and you don't have to make things public, but at the same time, you've still he's still got a I like to see him interacting with 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 the group and to stay involved in that and not to like shut himself away and you know he's he's struggling at the moment with like an infection and stuff and uh, he won't mind me saying but he's he, you know he's he's still got battles that have gone going since then but we were talking before about having like a zoom call with him just to lift his spirits and to keep him involved because with covid and stuff he still can't get out as much mm. as he would like to with the lads so so yeah you know we've, you've always got to be mindful of others and just try to make sure that that he's doing okay as well how do you find having um you know you said that you've people will have reached out to you through the work that you've done and obviously we mentioned swanee there i presume there'll be other people that you've would have spoken to who've had a diagnosis who've probably been reaching out for support how do you find dealing with that element of an emotion almost becoming like you know, a bit, a bit of a confidant or, you know, a bit of a role model for people as well. Yeah, it's it can be tough because one of the things is like I, um, someone you've had on the show, Dave Bolton, quite early on in my diagnosis, Dave was someone who I, I like looked up to and I went to see him and he's been great, he's been very supportive. But I remember going to meet him in Hoylake for a coffee and he was very, he was, he directed me to like his website and so on and I was a little bit like, I want I want more from him. I want I want you to basically take me on board. And then what I've realised is is by putting it out there, you can't you can't support everyone. Mm. And like I say, Dave's been absolutely brilliant with me. But I understand now why he was he was a bit like that with me. And 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 um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's been unbelievable the amount of people who do reach out. And I was speaking to someone on the phone the other day about, I think he had kidney cancer. And and, and what I say is that a lot of people are looking for like the magic solution. Like, is it positivity? Is it CBD oil? Is it supplements and all that? For me, I followed the guidance, the medical guidance. But what I found was, I become I've become an expert on the cancer that I've got because I joined a Facebook support group. I speak to other people who are in my shoes. I see what treatments and things that they've got. I would never have got referred to the Christie, and I don't even know whether I'd be in this position now, if I wasn't an expert or what I perceive to be an expert because I knew about this hip hack operation. My previous oncologist was wants me to have chemotherapy treatment. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way, but I, in myself, I'd kind of like think to myself, if I hadn't gone there, where would I be right now? Could I have run out of chemotherapy options? But I'm sitting here with like a clear scan and, and hope. And we couldn't really talk to you about talking about Team DDB, which we've lightly touched on. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, can you just let them know? Yeah, so... Um, Around June 2019, just before I actually had the, the really bad scan results, um, the two, uh, three of my friends, uh, two Bens and Will Will Davenport, again, yeah. you know, they were going to do a um, Pretty Mudder event, Muddy event in Birkenhead Park. So we went out for dinner one night and I was just sitting, I went to the toilet. When I come back out, they quite, I didn't even get on to it for about five minutes being me, but they were sitting there in bright pink Team DDB T-shirts. So they did pretty modern and he raised over two grand and then I just thought like I can run with this, like I can mm. there's something in this. So I put it onto social media and before I knew it, people were like saying, I'll do this, I'll bake cakes and sell them and it's just gone. It's just gone absolutely mad. And I do a few events and I did like a game of Prenton Park, a bowel cancer event and yeah, we've as a collective and as a community and initially started as family and friends and now I even get strangers coming you know contact and saying how can we get involved in this and the whole idea of it is basically it was started off to support cancer charities it's now become a world community thing where I just want to look after the community and to date we've raised like in the two years we just had our second birthday on Sunday and we've uh we've raised 56 thousand pound for the local Jesus. community so I mean that's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Um, How much of it went on that watch? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that watch is a ten-year special from Digital, yeah. <laughs> but but on top of that as well, um, I follow you on obviously on the socials. You've you've recently started your act of kindness as well. Yeah. Um. So as you said, it doesn't just stop at people suffering with cancer. Either. It seems to be growing and evolving every month, every week. Yeah, I mean. We, that come about off the, off the basis of like we were I was just you know I think we had a bit we had like a just given page where it was like a crowdfunding page and there was a bit of money and then I've got my cousin who sells second hand clothes um I want to be pre loved it's called and you, you, she basically sells second hand clothes so she was she donates money in and I just thought you know what instead of just thought just giving it to charity straight off what else can we do and. I just thought initially was I got in touch with a with a girl called Laura from Laura's Bakery in Liverpool and said you know will you do cupcakes and before I know it we sent 120 cupcakes to co to the critical care team just to say thanks during COVID, um and then we've ju- it's just like I say it's something that I've I've done that was in March and we've done one every single month since so we've sent 
we're send we're out we're arranging a summer party for Sons Downs, who look after um, Down syndrome children, um, and then we've just sent two two little boys. One's going to Chester Zoo, um, someone I knew from from Tramia, Joe McCusker, his little boy, uh, Toby, and then just more recently we're also sending um, a little boy who suffers from epilepsy to Alton Towers, and I just thought it's just nice to to. to to, to give back as well so i can kind of see not to say you know when it goes into charities it obviously does good but you don't have anything to tangible to mm. feel and touch i also wanted to to do something from a personal point of view so we're open we've got a few lined up and we're open to ideas so if you know someone who who you think on the world or even merseyside who deserves like you know a day out and has been through a tough time then then get in touch with us and we'll, we'll certainly look to sort something out for them. Absolutely, and we'll put the link on our socials as well so people can, can contact us. Um, I was just going to say, has having the purpose of concentrating on a charity work helped you, especially with the sort of your mental health as well, not just going home and being alone with your thoughts? You've got so much of a great charity work happening there that you must take up a lot of your time. Yeah, absolutely. It's been... It's it's been absolutely unbelievable and the positivity around it and it gives me a platform to raise awareness. It gives me a platform like, you know, some of the things that have happened from it is like, you know, I've been on the one show, um, we got one big thank you on there, um, been local and national press because of it. It's just but it, it's it, it's raising awareness for bowel cancer, mm. which so it's a good platform for that. So it kinda ticks a few boxes and then we've had a lot of like well known support from it as well. Um, we had, I mean, the other day I got a video from Stephen Graham. Yeah, I saw that this morning. Just class that, you know. And yeah. I'm, I'm a like I can't even tell you how much of a Stephen Graham fan I am. And then you know to get a video from him who's endorsing what Team DDB are doing, you know, in Merseyside was just amazing. And then you know loads of bizarre things. And this is the funny thing is like I've, I'm, I've got like friendly with people like Quan Mata, hmm. but at the same time. I often say to people like as 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 amazing as it's been and that that feels amazing it's also like i also think well i'd rather not have cancer and not have been through what i've yeah. been through and not have that link but at the same time that's the cards that have been dealt so why not make a positive from it and 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 like i say the, the more people who support it and get behind it the bigger it will become the more awareness that will follow and and like i say my, i'm for year three, you know, I'm, I'm, I want we 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 beat what we raised in year one by a few thousand pounds, and I, I want to beat it again, and and that's just just ambition, and I think it's a distraction from 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 cancer. I mean, you can measure what you've raised, obviously, um, but you probably can't measure the impact you've had on other people's mm. lives, which I think is amazing. I don't think anyone's benefited more than me, Danny and Ant, with the <laughs> interviews you've lined up for us, to tell you the truth. Mate, we've done like 120 <laughs> the, episodes, the main... 150 of them have been DDB's <laughs> black book getting slid over the we, table to us. Nothing better than a Wednesday night, you get the klaxon into the uh, into the WhatsApp. <laughs> Breaking and, uh, news. But on a serious note, what, what is, you've just talked about beating the, the money year on year, what is the ambitious, what, uh, what sort of the ambitions long term for Team DDB? Yeah, like I said, it, it could. You know, I don't know my future um, as as somber as that sounds. I don't want it to sound melodramatic, but I literally don't. But I'm hoping that it's it's it won't primary as it's it's got a legacy and it'll be something that'll carry on for a long time. Hopefully, I'm around to like basically head it up and and steer it. And I, as I say, I just want to do it. You, you know, it's weird because like you you get it's it's infectious to do good. Um, somebody told me I can't. Katie, who used to be 
on on, yeah. on the show. She once said, "There's like a, I, I always forget it as well." But basically, if something bad happens to you, you almost have this thing to do good. It drives you to do good, and I definitely think I've got that bug. And and like I said, I just want to do more good. I want to do more for people, um, and and just keep making my negative situation into a positive one. And and hopefully, I always say with regards to the awareness, if we can save one life then it's all been worth it. If someone doesn't have to go through what I've been through, then it's worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think you you just said it's infectious, the positive. I think it genuinely is. It, like I think the, the best thing about everything that you do, Danny, is it's just a really nice thing to, to be around. There's something very kind of genuine about the whole thing. I think we found that when we went to the UTS Foundation versus Team DDB charity match the other week, you know, you you had to obviously do it slightly differently than you would have ideally wanted to because of COVID. But it was just kind of a really nice, friendly atmosphere. Everybody wanted to be there. Everyone was happy to be there. Everybody was enjoying themselves. And I think there's a there was a lad wasn't there at the end who did who did the speech wasn't he on the pitch before we yeah. we kind of finished up, which was the greatest off the cuff speech I've ever heard in my entire life. It was quite frankly ridiculous. But they were all very genuine what he was saying, and I think it was just. It was kind of there's just something nice you just want to be around it if you know what I mean and that's that's kind of what we've found it's just yeah. it's just nice to be around and that positivity does rub off on other people doesn't it and and you're saying there about doing something for somebody else makes you feel good and I don't think that's it's not a bad thing I think sometimes people worry about that feet coming across do you know what I mean like a bit of a bad thing but yeah everybody wins in that scenario don't they I mean that, that was one of the things I was going to say is when you're saying about it's a bit infectious it's like I used to, one thing I haven't touched on was I used to coach with Southport under 18s and then 21s for a bit and by all means, yeah, I'm not overly qualified and I wasn't the best coach but the lads who come back and play for Team DDB are all the lads I used to coach for Southport and, you know, the support that they've given me during this has been like amazing and they always turn out when I need them to turn out and put in a shift and and again, that's another area where you're just like blown away by like it but again, they... The, anything I say to do with Team DDB, I get that same response. They just want to be around it. It feels good to them and it feels good to many people. And long, long may that continue. Found that out the hard way. <laughs> when yeah. um, I thought he was joking when he said that he used to coach Southport under 21, <laughs> still I played them in bootle goals. <laughs> Hardest hour of my life. Never been so happy to be injured <laughs> that I didn't have to play in that but, game. But just to sort of reiterate what Dan said, that every event you've done, it it's there's children running around. There's people there who were just giving up the time, the volunteering. It it's it's nice, and you can see the impact of it. It's amazing. I think uh, you deserve huge applause for what you've done, mate, to date, and and Thank everyone you. who's supported you in that as well. Because I know a lot of people give up the time to do runs and do different things, and I know um I know you're very appreciative of all the support you get yeah. as well. Well, that's the thing. Like as much as I face it up and stuff, and sometimes the accolade do come come my way the end of the day like i always say it like it was when i had the, the one show thing it was, i just found it a little bit embarrassing and it's like albeit yeah it's my story that's that's kind of um motivating people to get involved in that but it's the people who are doing the doing the charity runs who are the baking the cakes who are selling the second hand clothes 
that's what's making this a success. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can bang the drum all I want, but it's the people who are actually going out there and supporting it and getting involved. And as I said, there's strangers now who want to get involved, and it's just, it's just getting, it's getting bigger and bigger. And I just want that to continue. Mm. And I just wanted, uh, it's a, the world community is so special. It's just unbelievable. Like I've been so surprised. Like if I ask somebody if if they'll do something for me, like you know whatever it could be, you know as in it, you know a bit of advertising board but hosting oxton walked in for a coffee mentioned the game straight away yeah we'll sponsor the game you lads sponsored the game you know that that's that but that's what people are like they just they want to do what uh, during the toughest times of covid when businesses are struggling they're still supporting what we're doing one thing i was going to ask you danny i was going to actually ask you um Obviously, I would presume there's probably someone listening who may be in a similar position that you found yourself in, or, you know, statistically, someone may end up in, you know, sadly in that position as well. What I was going to ask you was, what advice would you kind of give to them? But I kind of want to flip it a little bit in terms of, from your perspective, what did what did you need as as an individual? You know, as somebody sitting there going through it, what did you need from other people? Because for every one person that's that's going through it, there are 10, 15, 20 people around that person who can who can help, I suppose, can't they? Yeah, I, I, it's all because uh, the way in which I've dealt with it, as we've touched on, isn't for everyone. But for me, it is that the key thing is is becoming understanding what you've got and understanding what's out there in treatment because things are developing and and they're getting better and whilst there's medical experts out there and again what their opinion is not to say it's wrong but always like seek a second opinion always question them don't just assume what someone's telling you is the right course of action i think that's the key thing but yeah just remain positive um and i learned early on and and like i say kelly taught me and 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 people like dave who've been superb it's there's options on the table um don't worry about what's going to happen because it's something silly like 96% of what you worry about doesn't actually happen so why sit and worry about like it's like this scan I've got coming up it's like why sit and overstress that they're going to tell me that it's bad result until it actually happens and then you process it and deal with it and go from there so yeah that that they're the, the, the key things of advice that I would pass on to anyone who's either in my situation or actually um you know to be diagnosed but hopefully with the awareness we're doing hopefully people are going to start getting diagnosed a lot earlier and to, to sum up um we're going to ask what happens now and what's next but judging by what you've said it's very much take every day as it comes and i know you've got a, a scan coming up soon and you just probably take everything in your stride i suppose to sort of change the question a little bit is there anything coming up you got on the horizon you really look forward to anything team D- db doing it you want to talk about or yeah so we've got we've got um, a random act of kindness coming up for father's day which i can't really say too much about but again it'll be something that you'll see on sunday we've got other random acts of kindness teed up we've got hopefully a bowel cancer awareness event in september time my one of my goals is uh you know i'd like to do some form of like um 
music festival and and, okay. and basically get out local talent and again it would be so around yeah. bowel cancer awareness. you can book us now if you want <laughs> <Yeah. mate. laughs> play you more could, song yeah, oh, right, yeah i was gonna get to say one of us could do macy gray couldn't we <laughs> get you get you opening up for us <laughs> yeah. but yeah so there's a lot of exciting things but as i said i've got to, i've also got to be mindful of and respectful of you know what what this scan comes back with and and what I am gonna be, you know, I can't overstretch myself. But again, it's it's a it's a good positive. But I, it's weird because I kind of think with me, I don't know whether with because of the set. This isn't for one minute for me saying I'm I give up or whatever. But because what happened with sepsis, I almost feel like what's happened since then is a bonus anyway, and it's allowed me it's allowed me to to do what I've done and and so on. So in like a dead weird way i'm like relaxed on the scan results even if it comes back as a a negative and people won't understand that but it's weird that that's how i feel and in my family when they listen back they'd hear me saying that they'd be like what you're talking about but (laughs) yeah it it is it it, i am quite calm about the situation really whatever the results and i think that helps as well so welcome back um and obviously that was an interview that, that, that ryan and i did a few weeks back Listening to it, obviously you've known Danny for a long time, as we talked about before the interview. You also work in a in, in a cancer unit in the hospital as well. Kind of just want to get what your thoughts from from listening back to to, to Danny's interview. Uh, it was quite emotional, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, a part, a, a point, and I think that's because obviously he's a friend. But I think listening to that story from from anyone uh, would would stoke up those emotions as well. So it's a uh, yeah. My job is is a uh, it's a good one, to be honest. I always try and downplay it. Basically, I work. I was literally just about to say to yeah. you, don't put it down. <laughs> I work in the in the you know, cancer services team at, at Whittle University Trust, and what we do is we track patients from their beginning of their journey. So if they were suspected cancer, right through to their first treatments and subsequent treatments, and, and any point in that pathway, if if anything's out of kilter. So normally, I don't want to get too technical, but if you you know an appointment was three weeks away instead of two weeks it'd be on our mm-hmm. our heads to, to go and do our best to bring that forward so it can move smoothly so we can hit targets and so we can get a diagnosis to the patient quicker than than well nice and quickly basically yeah um so that that is our 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 job but there's you know we have to write down the the, the plans and the the, the pathways for those treatments and what's going to happen with each individual patient and all gets collated and mm-hmm. you can audit it and you can run your um, statistics off it nationally and, you know, your height and weight, what affects this, what affects that. Yeah. Um, so it is really important work um, as much as I try and downplay it because I don't <laughs> like talking about myself too much. But it's uh, with that, it is very difficult when you see or you know of someone uh, who is going to be going through that journey yeah. the because you know what you know that the, the, the yeah, kind of the finer ins and outs yeah, of it and, and it is really really tough i think just being able first of all just being able to to know that information straight away is is hard you, you've got to trust yourself you've got to yeah. back yourself because obviously your job's on the line if you if you dick around with it um and it's not fair on anyone else um so as well as that it, it, it you know the stories when he's saying you know you know what I, I didn't go back for the for the blood test i've seen that i, I, I must have seen that a hundred and yeah. thousands of times it was it, it was interesting yeah. to to hear that from danny particularly because you think of him as being someone who's very engaged mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. he obviously is but it's scary isn't it well that, of course it is so. hugely and i think we talk a lot don't we about 
men and how we engage with our own healthcare. And I think someone, you know, what Danny said there is 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 very interesting to to kind of relate to that, isn't it? Absolutely. And obviously, you know, I read these stories every day in work, and it, it, it is it's really heartbreaking, you know, to 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 read them to to understand them. But at the other side of it, you're going, I can understand if I'm in that position, what yeah. would I do? And I think the stuff that Danny does now and, and raising more awareness, because I think most people see a leaflet and go, oh, yeah, I'll read that later. Yeah. Or I'll ignore that poster. I'll, I'll skip that advert. I think that doesn't help now either, you know, <laughs> skipping adverts and stuff. There really are some good important ones there. Um, and the stuff that Danny's doing is is, is fantastic because there's, there are things where you go, and it's, it's affected me, myself, you know. Yeah. You'll, even if it's just simply going to, the, like, the toilet or something, you're going, oh, that wasn't, great i wonder what's yeah. going on here yeah, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. a thing i don't know so it, it does just heighten your senses about it and yeah I, I can't say enough about him i think he's doing a fantastic job and and he's just been brilliant as well and it's almost i almost find it whenever i um i mean we saw danny the other day at the uh at the the euro final before the euro final mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the pub and i always find it sort of like the first when it when i when it got, i mean you've known danny longer than i have mm. um I think the first time I probably met him was probably in the in the Hoolies or somewhere the Hoolands pub in 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 Clawton. but I always find when when you when he's speaking to Danny, there's almost that element of you'd forget all of the other stuff because he's just like an annoy uh, an annoying Man United fan down the pub. <laughs> no, just because he's like a normal lad down the pub. Oh, he's great, yeah. and so he's just kind of in in the group. And then you sort of remember all the amazing stuff that's happened over the last two years and all the amazing things that he's done, and then when Danny did the interview with us and he was able to kind of, you know, I've sat and I've spoken to Danny before and I've heard, I've listened to him on other podcasts and, and, and different things that he's done and read things that he's, he's, he's put online. And, and so I kind of know, broadly speaking, what he's gone through. Hmm. But to kind of be there in the room with him and watch him go back through that was really, really emotional to, to listen to and to be a part of. And was one of those moments where you're like, it's like a special thing to be a part of that someone has been able to come all the way through it and not only be able to, I mean, coming through the having stage four bowel cancer in and of itself is an extraordinary achievement to have done it whilst raising all that money for for, for cancer charities and, and the NHS and stuff alongside it is also an extraordinary achievement. And then also to be able to talk so clearly about it and to be able to articulate the way that he feels about it and to be able to use that to try and help other people. I think it's just... You know what a hat trick that is. I think that's yeah. you know what I mean. It's it's so many different things kind of knitted into one with Danny, and I think it's 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 you know he's a credit to himself, you know, and um, yeah, I, I just think as you say, knowing the ins and outs of that with regards to how he's gotten to where he's gotten mm-hmm. is is you know it's it's incredible. And it's it's easy to forget because we know him on like a personal basis. Yeah, no, it is, and uh, you know, obviously he talks about the the WhatsApp group in 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 the interview and. He talks about those four days that are missing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he also won't mention that Everton beat United 4 0 either. Um, <laughs> so he's forgotten about that one. I don't think he's ever watched it. Um, but we can get him some highlights if he's. <laughs> we we'll get you some, Danny. I'll send you a There's link. It's probably mate. a DVD, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> we could, um, you know, at that time when it was happening, we were in contact with each other. We were asking for, for updates and we relied heavily on his brother. I think it. it Danny's made uh, Will Davenport as well was was very clear with us, very calm with us, and just told us the situation. And then we had the the fundraising events at Trammy Rovers, and that was the first time seeing Danny come after coming out of hospital. 
And when he says he went to Ten Stone, yeah, he, he yeah. really did. And it was really quite shocking at first, but... Especially to, to see what he looks like now. Uh, absolutely. And it, it was really quite shocking at first. And it, it was, you know, it was... I, I wouldn't want to say awkward, but, you know, you, you're very aware that, hang on, you're going to have to give him a bit of space here to, yeah. to, 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 get, to get back into things. And he hasn't half got back into the swing of things, uh, particularly with the, the charity. I remember him talking about, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the well. I don't want to go to me to me friends, to me yeah, family, to circle. the people I know. And he, he said, you know, we're getting people from all around the country come and ask if I can do a, a, an event for you. And yeah. I, I've I've done those events. We've done a lot of running. Um, I shaved all my hair off at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, you shaved your hair off. We, I mean, we've done a lot, we've done a lot of uh, hard things for him, but I don't think anything's as hard as as what he's been going through. I know, my head was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cold. I remember, I remember running, I think I did a, a 120 uh, 100k in a month and uh, it was the first time I'd ever really tried anything like that and I remember running one night and I remember thinking this is really tough and I remember just thinking it's not that tough is it <laughs> I, because and it, and it isn't yeah. and it does drive you on you're doing it for a, for a cause and you know and, and what a cause it is I, I think you've been fantastic the only other thing that I, I, I kind of wanted to pick up on because I've, I've heard it three times now you know the the in the coma that he comes out of and he's He's kind of, um, it's kind of like a, 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 I wouldn't say psychotic, but like that kind of feeling yeah, yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dave Bolton said it as well. He did, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I know personally, um, my, my cousin went through it through a similar thing as well. There is a lot written about uh, comas, and it, they are really, really fascinating. So if you can never find mm. anything around them, um, there are some really good books and some really amazing like experiences that people have in in a coma because they are. For they are awake, the brain's still going, they're yeah. still hearing yeah. things, and yeah. it it's like a, a a dream. So like they'll they'll place like people in there, yeah. and it's it's just I find that amazing, really, to be honest. Yeah, to, you, to listen to, and when Danny was saying it as well, I was like, I've heard this before. This is fun. This is weird and wonderful at the same time. Yeah, it's almost like consciousness but not consciousness mm. if you know what I mean it's it's sort of somewhere between the two states and it is fascinating you alluded or mentioned briefly your your cousin's mm. book mm. what's the, the book called uh, it's called An Unexpected Journey by uh, by Ben Thexton and it is a really really good book um, it's very short as well so it's very concise and it's um, it just talks about obviously the, the incidents the accident that he had and then getting over it and dealing with having uh, a, a young child and a, a, a pregnant pregnant girlfriend pregnant wife and then his brother going through the same thing as well um so it, it you know and particularly with the, the the coma bit was was really quite stark really to mm. be honest um so that is a really good book to, to 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 get hold of um and another thing just quickly i think danny said you know we we talked in the interview we talked you know how he's positive and how he how it affects others yeah and how if he's down it drags people down with them and I just go back to, I mean, we talk a lot about mindfulness and then a lot, uh, one of the main points of that is if you're a good version of yourself, it's going to reflect on others. It's like a ripple yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think if you can try, it might not be every day, but if you can try and get to that point where you are the, the best version of yourself, then the other people don't have to worry. Yeah. And then it also, it it works counter to that as well and it, it reflects back off people. Mm. If, you know, if you think about it logically, if other people are, 
getting good vibes and, and it's bringing them up because you're in a good mood, then it will work vice versa yeah, as well. Absolutely. You will then continue to feed off one another. And I think that's, you know, it's a simple message. And, it's, and you know, as you say, it doesn't work for everyone, but it is something mm-hmm. to keep in mind and something to be to be mindful of. Um, one thing that I think is probably worth us mentioning as well, and we've alluded to it a couple of times, just to wrap up, and I'm sure Danny would would reiterate it a hundred times over, and you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and, you know, if you are feeling as though there's something slightly awry, Particularly if it's in a, in a private area, you know, either front or back. I think mm-hmm. lads, we're, we're, we're quite classically a bit like, oh, no, nah, it'll be all right. It's just, I just don't want to talk about that. Or, oh, God, I don't want to have to show somebody that. Go and get yourself checked out. I mean, it's what it's what it's what they're there for. They're there to help people. We, we live in a we live in a in, a, in a, a wonderful place where we have the access. Yep. For, for you phone up at yeah. eight o'clock in the morning, you'll be in by nine. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Ab- it's 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 that simple, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think obviously we mentioned before about Danny's scan. Yeah. Um, delighted, yes, we did. Yeah, delighted to say he's still clear. Of, still clear. He so is. he's um he's going well. He is very and he's planning awesome. more events as well, which is, is amazing. Yeah, God, we're gonna have to go to all of them, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, can't wait to go to all of them. Um, and I'm gonna wrap us up there. Thank you very much for for your thoughts, mate, and uh, and for your for your time. And thanks to you, the listener, for listening along with us today. We always have a a mini quiz don't we at the end of the episodes these days um and of course we wanted to give danny the opportunity to get on that leaderboard you know alongside some names that you know you know that are renowned in the footballing world your your jason browns your alan marns you know your sam hutchinson's you know these are big names and we wanted to put danny de brabs in there so we created us a special little quiz just for danny (laughs) so we're going to hand you over to that we're going to be back again for another interview on Monday where we'll be speaking to the former Bristol Rovers, former Barnet, former Tramia Rovers, centre forwards, winger, inverted winger. Yeah, a nice little player. Forwards, mm. yeah, very nice little footballer. Uh, Elliot Richards. Mm. Uh, Elliot was diagnosed with cancer as well uh, about five or six years ago mm-hmm. now it was. Um, testicular cancer, he came through that and recovered. Um, so we're going to be talking to him about his career and also about his cancer diagnosis and everything that he went through. And then next Friday, in in kind of in theme with with everything that we're doing and talking about at the moment, we'll be speaking to um, Tracy Tombides, who is Dylan Tombides' mum, who was the former West Ham player who sadly died uh, at the age of twenty back in twenty fourteen. So that's something to um, to definitely be tuning in for next Friday. So we'll uh, stick all the details as that as usual on the twitter our twitter is at marking underscore man and don't forget to use the hashtag where's the talking lads so we're now going to hand you over to danny's mini quiz and we'll see you again on monday thank you very much for listening in 2003 ahead of a big move to england which player was quoted as saying liverpool are one of the best clubs in england and it would be a dream for any player to represent a club of such traditions I will have to hope they make an offer that is good for both my club and myself. You're not going to tell me it's Ronaldo, are you? <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, God, you're killing me now. <laughs> the current Manchester United manager, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, was formerly a member of which famous team supporters club? You're stitching me now, it's Liverpool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's two for two. It's two for two. Big knowledge of the Reds, isn't he? Um, Pop it, definitely did these <laughs> questions, didn't he? In 2016, during a Europa League tie, a group of Liverpool fans unfailed a banner in the Strefford end at Manchester United. The incident led to a brawl and a series of arrests. Can you remember what the banner said? I was at the game. 
and you I wasn't were, fighting. You were there throwing digs, <laughs> I mean. No, um, Pop definitely wrote these questions. <laughs> I, I can't, to be honest with you. I've shuttled out my memory. Scousers conquering again. Okay. <laughs> Question number four, and I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. In 2003, Liverpool won their second League Cup in three years, beating Manchester United 2-0. Do you remember who scored for the Reds that day? Do you know what? This is and it's nowhere to lie. That game and many United fans, that game like is not even in the memory banks. Like, I I don't even. It was at Cardiff, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's so weird. I, I, I probably Gerard was it? I don't know. He got one, and I'll go for what year was we? Two thousand three. Someone like Milan Bar or someone like that. I don't Michael know. Owen. Michael Owen. Not a bad guess, though. Went on to win the league with us. <laughs> in 2013, Manchester United won their last Premier League title. Since that time, how much money have United spent on players in their desperate attempt to return to the top? Oh, probably about a billion. It was a billion pounds. A billion pounds. Wow. It's okay, you much these days. Um, <laughs> when asked about their rivalry with Manchester United, which former Liverpool defender said the following... Let's get this clear. I want United to lose every time they play. I'm pleased when they lose. I'm sure United fans feel exactly the same about Liverpool, and I won't change that. Dear. It's got to be uh, Jamie Carragher. <laughs> it has. Yeah. It has. Despite their legendary status, Premier League stars Fabio Aurelio and Andrea De Sena only ever scored uh, once in the same match. Do you remember what match that was? Absolutely. It was probably one of the worst days of my life and I remember driving back <laughs> with my brother and I don't think I don't think we said a word from leaving the ground to him dropping me off at home in the car, which was about an hour drive. But do you want me to tell you? Don't yeah, you? I don't know what the result was. Oh my god, I'm getting absolutely <laughs> stitched. Yeah. It was uh, but I can come back on it because it was it was four one to Liverpool, but United went on to lift the league title that season. Nice. They did, they did. But I remember, I remember that game. Was Liverpool playing in that really horrible grey kit? Grey kit, yeah, yeah. And the centre did. The, I think um, someone got sent off. I think it might have been Vidic. Vidic, I think Torres yeah, gave him a tough time, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. So I love how we've just done a really emotional interview about yeah. your life traumas yeah. and you've just said it was one of the worst days of my life <laughs> which Manchester United player struggled consistently against Fernando Torres and was sent off in three consecutive matches was it Bebe against Liverpool <laughs> between 2008 and 2009 did, did Bebe ever play three consecutive matches I don't think so no but he was probably in the man yet didn't it? I think he went on to win about six Premier League titles and Torres won none so I'm going to end on that um, I'm not even going to apologise for that, though, that. <laughs> I didn't know these. I thought we would have threw a few in. I was tempted to write United some nice notes. ones, and then I just thought, no. Yeah. You're getting it. Thanks. <laughs> and I know I know where they've come from as well. Yeah, as well. Someone yeah. who's not here. But... My name is Danny the Bramander. Welcome to Man Marking. And we're asking, where's the talking, lads? <laughs>